In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, we are finishing up, not quite, but we're in the last section. We're kind of on the home stretch of the book of Titus. Not a very long book. It's three chapters, and we spent three weeks in it so far. we got two more weeks in the book of Titus. So we're going to do a little bit of a review. If you could just think in your head, who is, uh, who is writing the book of Titus? That's Paul. Paul's writing this book, and he's writing it to Titus, and Titus is a name. It's not a place. It's, and what is his job? He's a pastor, so his job is a pastor. So he dropped him off at the island of Crete. If anyone's ever been, has anyone been to Crete? Has anyone been to Italy? And, and Crete is off of Greece, not Italy. So good thing I, that's totally, it's, yeah, has anyone ever been to Sardinia? There we go. We're like, we'll just name random places. So it, Crete is, it, it's an island about the side of Puerto Rico. And in that, it was known as a place that, where there was like drunkards and liars and was not a good situation. And they had started these house churches. So Paul had gone there. He started these house churches in a fairly large area, and now he sends uh, Titus. He's like, hey, i got a job for you to do. You have to go find, from these people who are known to be liars, cheats, and drunkards, I need you to find a few qualified guys that can be pastors of these churches. So this is what the first part of the book and what he's going through, and now he's kind of reminding him in this short letter, here's what I want you to teach the people, and he got down to behavior. So he got down, we're emphasizing the gospel, and then he gets down to behavior, and what are some of these behaviors we remember we talked about just last, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about, okay, if you're an older person, we talked about um, young men and old men, and so the old men, what was maybe the gist of what he's talking about, if you remember, would be live a life that's worthy of respect. So you got all kinds of options, you can do whatever you want, if you're older, you're going to get respect anyway, to some degree, but live a life that people would look and say, I am happy to give my respect to that. It's kind of like um, government officials, for example, you're naturally going to have some kind of respect function in a way that people are happy to give you that respect rather than begrudgingly. So that's one thing. And then he got to the um, older, older women, and the older women had kind of a long list, but it was kind of short, right? So in, in some sense, he just said, do not slander and do not get drunk. So apparently at that time, this is what they had a little bit more free time, and he said, hey, do not use that free time to slander all the other older ladies or guys and say how terrible they are. Don't look at the younger ladies and look down on them and don't fill your time with wine. Instead, he gave them a job to do, which is always good, right? When you got kids who are like, I'm bored. Awesome. I got an idea, <laughs> right? So like, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing. He said, hey, I got an idea for you. I want you to model and to help these young ladies who are living. And the longest list that we run into is actually the young women. The young women, he says, I want you to love your husbands and I want you to... Um, love your children and be respectable, don't get drunk on wine. He also has, an, he has this big long list, but he calls on the women, the older women to say, this is your job to try and pour into this younger generation. It's way easier to do that when they want to listen, right? It's easier to teach my kids when they want to listen. It's harder and to be humble enough to say, listen, I've been in your same spot. I want to help you. And in such an attitude that they want to hear it. So if you find, if you're an older person, and people don't want to hear it, maybe it's the way that you're doing it, right? So I think maybe just back off and say, am I really doing it for their good, or do I want to be recognized for how awesome I am? And then the guys, with the youngest one was the, the young men. What was the job for young men? Just pump the brakes, guys. That's right. It was just like, just slow down, all right? That, that's the only thing he says is, right, just... Just, just slow down a little bit. And so this is all aspects of life. I think you could say that about young men. I think if you had like one word, you'd just be like, just, just tone it down a little. And that's really what Paul is getting at. But then we talked about heroes a little bit. Every guy has heroes, especially boys. They look up to someone. So he calls on Titus to say, hey, be that example 
that these boys are going to look to and say, these young men are going to look to and say, this is what it means to serve God and function in God's kingdom. This is kind of our background to it. Now we jump into our final chapter. And these are made up, by the way. So it's not like uh, Paul is writing and he writes chapter 3. They added this just so that we could find it. In fact, the original Greek text, if you ever look at it, is just a block of letters because they wanted to save as much space as possible. So they don't even have like one and a half space or courier knew like my friend who would write his term papers with like 12 words per page i'm like you just shrunk the margins and use courier new like this is you're not saying anything um he's not a pastor anymore so that so <laughs> not because of that um so it now everyone's like why why um, i don't actually know why so i use the word friend loosely so we are in the we're in Titus. This is chapter three. So this is the end. And he's kind of getting down. He's got one more thing. So he said, slaves, listen to your masters. So that kind of applied to our work world. And now he's getting to one more thing. And you just when you're thinking, okay, I got the list. You, you found your category. I'm an old man or I'm a young man. I'm a young woman. I'm an old woman. I got my category. This is what I'm supposed to do. And then we jump here. He says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle towards everyone. Awesome. Right? Like, you just get the list of what you're supposed to do, and then you get like, oh, yeah, one more thing. This is, this is all I want. Just, can I just write you just quick one more note? Be obedient to authorities and rulers. Do whatever is good. Never talk bad about anyone. And always be peaceable and considerate. Be gentle towards everyone. How many of you are pumped about that? Right, like, it, like you're leaving to go to your first day of work and your, your, your parents or something like that, like your parents, you live, your parents would be weeping with joy if you still live with them and you're going to your first day of work. So this is what's happening. Like, hey, one more thing. Just be nice to everybody. Don't talk back at all. And like, this is kind of hard. So we got to get to kind of the reasons that we're getting to in, in a second. So has anyone ever seen Jerry of the Day Instagram? foreshadowing is happening earlier in service and I said one of my favorite things to do is skiing and I mentioned this to someone that I was going to go skiing with my daughter so Petra and I uh, I also had off of school because I don't go to school but Petra had off of school and so there is this thing called the Jerry of the day which an Instagram which is worth following and what they are is people around the whole country just snapping shots at like tourists either tourists people doing remarkably stupid things on the ski hill which is usually awesome crashes and then um People, and the theme of it is just send it. Does that make sense to anyone? Full send. I mean, this is kind of the idea. So, like, everyone has experienced this as a kid. You're sitting with your buddy, and you see a ski jump. And I don't really jump. Uh, even though there are jumps, I just don't go anywhere. And they're like, let's do it. And so then instantly, like, they launch. I've been with guys trying to do backflips. You know, like, this is not a great idea. So this is a whole thing of videos. So I just thought I'd show some of it. Does anyone know the problem with this one? If you don't ski, uh, the, the helmet is on backwards, okay? That's going to be wild. This is a video, actually, of the guy trying to strap in with his snowboard the wrong direction. So, like, the tall part that's supposed to lean against your leg is over there, and he can't figure out why it's not working. Okay, I got some new goggles. They don't come with the frames. No problem, bro. <laughs> so, so we showed these things, and 
and I feel bad a little bit, but they are really, really funny. So you should, you should watch these. Uh, it, they're super funny. What happens when you're actually pretty good at something? That makes all this stuff funnier, right? Like when you, like, if, could you imagine putting your, <laughs> clipping into your ski binding backwards? Like how does it even, like the end twin tips, I guess? I don't know how that would make sense. Like that this, and no one says anything. They had a guy where the snowboard, if you sit on a snowboard, imagine this, both feet have to go into the thing. They had this foot in and then the open one there and the guy's trying to figure out like how to go down the hill and you're like, oh my goodness. So if you weren't reasonably decent at these sports, that makes that stuff less funny, right? But once you get pretty good, you got a couple options. One is to um, look at other people and just say how dumb they are. What do you think happens? Here's my correlation. As you get actually to live your life as a Christian, what do you think happens? We probably could have an Instagram feed that would say, I mean, Jerry of the day, that's just the nickname, but we could probably say like heathen of the day, and there would be a lot of stuff that would be pretty funny. If you would look around at the world and how they function, I think we could have a feed every day that would be pretty funny. And we would look at it and say, that is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Right? Someone's trying to figure out, is this ever experienced with you? Like you're trying to figure out, uh, marriage is hard enough, but then you see someone's solution for marriage and you're like, that is the stupidest idea I've ever seen. You go to work, right? That's why Dilbert is funny, right? Because there's a, like you watch these cartoons because you're reasonably decent at your job and then you watch someone who's not very good at it. I would guess in the Christian world, you could figure that same thing out. You could look at the things you're pretty good at and you could look at how the relationships are terrible. You could look at how they find hope in the dumbest of things and all of this stuff would become kind of funny. And so the way that Paul explains some of this to Titus is he says, here's my expectations. It's super easy to do a couple things. When you look at what God expects of you, you can either A, just lower the expectations. Just say God's not that serious about it. We're going to just lower the expectations. When he says slander no one, he's not really mean that. He just means like be a decent person. Or you can feel that's option you know, A. Option B is look at other people and think, at least I'm a lot better than they are. And this functions in any aspect of life. If you at work, are you the worst employee that your job has? You're supposed to say no right now, right? <laughs> right? Like, some of you are like, eh, it's kind of a toss-up between <laughs> me and Billy. <laughs> you know, like, no, right? It doesn't take that much. If you really want to look, you can either lower the expectations when your boss says, here's what I expect of you, or you could just look around and say, at least I'm not as bad as that person. The same thing is, is um, Valentine's Day just happened. <laughs> if you want to feel bad, I w- looked at Jerry the Day videos with my wife. I'm like, these are super funny. You should see them. So if you're talking like, are you the least romantic person in the room? Today, you're not. Like, you don't have to worry about it because you were not showing these videos to your wife on Valentine's Day. Sorry, honey. <laughs> we're still married. Uh, so, so it's not that hard. You could look at the same thing about parenting, right? So if you really feel down on yourself, you could say, you know what? The expectations, I'm kind of doing a decent job. And if you really want to feel good about yourself really fast, just look at all the other lousy parents there are at the school the ones who don't show up and the ones who don't volunteer like they're supposed to or the ones who send their kids to school without a coat, the ones who have like, you know, they, they have barely give a lunch and you just go like, don't help with their homework. It is not that difficult to find lousy parents. Can we agree on that at least? Everyone's afraid. You guys are so judgy. Like that was a setup. That was a, no. But that, here's where Paul's coming up. He gets to this section. He said, when we look at the world, 
the world is foolish, and foolish is the way the Bible looks at it. It just means you are doing one of two things. One, you don't recognize that there is a God, or when the Bible talks about foolish, this is as bad as it can get. It says the fool says in their heart there is no God. That's, his, like, that's the lowest of the low, which basically means it's empty-headed is the term that is used. And so you're either functioning that says, I believe there is no God, which we'd say that is foolish, or you're living in a way that there, like there is no God. That's different. So one is saying, I don't believe there is a God. I'm going to do whatever I want. The other is there's plenty of people who recognize there is a God, and we're just going to shut that channel off, and we're not going to worry about it. Disobedient just means doing all the wrong things. That's not that hard to function and find that in the world. Deceived. Deceived is when anyone has forwarded you an email that you could check Snopes in like three seconds and figure out that it is not true. That is deceived. Does anyone ever happen to them? Does anyone have parents that are over, I'm 44 uh, this month, 44. Anyone have parents over 44 that afford you an email and you're like, are you kidding me? Has this happened to anybody? All right, just keep, and you're like, this is not, the world is not ending. And A, there is no prince in Nigeria that is offering you money, right? Like this is not happening. And so that's deceived. So we look at the world and we say like, how could they be so easily duped? enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, which is not that hard if you'd function and you'd look at the world and you'd say there are so many people consumed by all the things in the world, like just tricked by commercials and trying to buy more stuff and thinking like sex is going to make them happy and these pursuits of power. It is not that difficult to look around the world and see all this stuff happening. We lived in malice, and malice means I want bad stuff to happen to you. That's living in malice. Envy means I don't want good things happening to you. So it's kind of the same thing. I want all bad stuff to happen to you, and I don't even want any good stuff happen to you. This is how some people have functioned. And I guarantee you work with people that are utterly jealous of you, that actually want bad stuff to happen to you, even if they'd never say that. Most of us as Christians probably fit into the envy realm. I don't wish bad stuff on people. Like, I'm not wishing, like, the storms will come and destroy their car, but I don't really want them to get a new car, right? That's, that's envy, right? Like, that's not, that's, this is the struggle we have. Hating and hating one another. Why do I bring all this up? Because Paul is just got done with his whole laundry list of stuff. This is how I want you to live as old men and young men and old women and young women and as slaves. This is how I want you to function. And when it comes to the government, I want you to listen to the government. I never want you to slander and I want you to be peaceable and kind and nice. And this list gets exhausting. And you're like, why in the world would I ever want to do that? Which is what we got to a couple weeks ago when we are talking about moralizing. Moralizing is saying the goal here is our goal as Christians just to live really good lives. Is that like our ultimate goal? The goal is no. That means we're jumping over. Paul is trying to say, here is why we do it, because I blotted some of the, at one time, this was you. We lived in malice and envy. And so Paul has this long list of things that he's saying, Titus, I want you to talk to the people about this, but you got to remember this essential thing. This was us. And so I would guess that like the Jerry of the day stuff isn't as funny if you've clipped in your skis the wrong direction. Maybe, right? And, and if you'd look and you'd see the person doing that stupid thing that said, yeah, I can't believe someone would do that. Ever happened to you when someone's telling you this story about the dumbest thing they've ever seen someone do and it was actually something you've done before and you're like, yeah, it's crazy. Why would they ever do that? Uh, like check in, like at work, like punching in, you think you're punching in, you're not punching in your card. I mean, I mean hypothetically. Or uh, like someone, this will happen, this is going to brussel, brussel some feathers. That's not a term. 
You ever said the wrong phrase in a sermon? Yeah. Um, So, ever have someone who talks about timeshares? And they're like, can you believe it? I went to this timeshare thing and they're like, I almost bought it. It was like the biggest scam of all time. Now, I only say that because I guarantee some of you own timeshares and you're like, no, for us it works out. It's really a good thing, right? I get to spend more time with my kids and quality time and I'm bringing a legacy or whatever things they tell you and they circle the things. But what has happened, they have this judgment of that this is not a good idea and then they're basically saying to you that this is not a good idea. And then somehow you have to admit to yourself that was me. I'm not judging on timeshares. You make your own choices. Uh, They could say that about a car. They could say that about a house. They could say that about a loan. They could say that about all these different things. And sometimes you get this vision that says, that is me. And Paul wants us to recognize as human beings. When God is talking about the world, when God is talking about those who are disobedient and deceived and enslaved by all kinds of worldly passions, that's like us. And unless you recognize that, you'll never have this right relationship with God. Because all we're going to do is when we hear God's commands, we're going to do one of two things. We're going to lower the standards. We're going to just look for other people who are worse at it than we are. Code black. I don't know. uh, An influx of patients so great, there aren't enough resources to treat them. I don't know if this is the official term. So when they say they function in hospitals, uh, this was a documentary, 2014, that a doctor had done. And so the average code black, this is, I thought this meant there was a bomb in the building. Is anyone like... It also can mean there's a bomb in a building. So a bomb in a building, or it means they're so great the resources haven't done it. So the average hospital, so the average hospital means there's more people than the resources can handle like in the emergency room. So the average times that happens in America in hospitals is guess how many times a year? Five. Right, this is a bigger deal than having like too long of line at the supermarket. This is us going to the supermarket, like Costco, does that happen to you? Costco, like, are you kidding me? We need more checkers here. What is going on? I've already been in line three minutes. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and then they actually, Costco does bring checkers. Sam's Club, they don't care. They're, they're just like, whatever, we got self-check, deal with it. So th- th- what they're saying, in the hospitals, the average one is five times a year that this happens, and you can imagine the stress. It's already stressful enough to be in an emergency room, but now you're talking like kind of life and death. There's serious injury, there's infection, all these things happening, and you do not have enough people and resources to take care of them. So then you talk triage, and that's what they do now. They immediately they talk to you, and they run down, like, what are your symptoms? Are these actually legit or not? Right? And then you get raided. So that's how this happens. So they have to do some kind of order. There's this hospital in Los Angeles where they did this documentary. How many times a year do you think this happens? 300. So they did this. So now there's a... TV series that is canceled since then called Code Black, which is basically at all times they don't have enough resources. Now, from the outside, that seems really dumb because you're like, I think you should just get some more people, right? If this happens 300 times a year, like if 300 days a year I didn't have a car, I think my wife would say, hey, I've got a solution. We should get a car, right? Like this is 300 days a year, like I haven't done my laundry. I think we could figure out some plans. But this is what's happening. It's beyond our resources. As believers, Paul is trying to emphasize to you through God's word that our situation is beyond our resources. And most of our problems we can handle ourselves. You guys are successful people and you do well. Most of the things that come up in your life, you can figure a way to do it. I would guess how many times a year do you feel like it's beyond your resources? I think you'd be like the average hospital. Maybe five times a year you're like, man, I'm not sure what to do right now. 
I doubt it's happening 300 times a year. When it comes down to your salvation, it happens 365 days a year. And no matter how much you lower the standards and how much I try to just look down at other people, we also have to look at there's a holy God who's looking us in the eye and says, you are the one that needs my help. And when you start from that base, this is where Paul continues. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared. So just this idea of appearing that's coming. So the appearance, when you think about like, for centuries, I mean, just, just think through like the Christian life. If, if you would have become a believer, just name any time in history, and you just say it was the year 1600 before Jesus. So this is before Moses. Abraham had already heard the promise, and you're just dwelling on this promise that God is going to show his love one day, that a Messiah is going to come. And you just think about that, like someday this is going to happen. And the same, you know, it just goes on. And just like maybe you're saving up your money for a house, and you're like, someday we're going to have a house. And so now you're this believer during that period. You just talk to your kids and your grandkids, if you've got them, and you would say, you know, one day we're going to see God's love, like, in, for real. And, and you just tell stories, and then, like, the, the, they cross the Red Sea, and they would have all these things that they hold on to. And then it keeps going for centuries and centuries. It's a thousand years, and it's King David, and all these battles are coming, and they're trying to kill us, and you're like, God is going to show his love one day. And then you get down to... 4, 6 B.C., and we actually get to see God's love appear. Like in the flesh. Like this is what it looks like. And I think that's a whole different dynamic when we talk about it. So that's what he's talking about. When God's love and kindness, it was conceptual up until this time. We saw it in various ways. But like everything that God did to show, like here's my true love, said, I am going to take my son, and he's going to be born as a human being. And that son is going to live a life perfectly in your place. And that son is going to go all the way to a cross. And that son is going to die a death that you and I deserve because we are malice. We are the ones doing all the wrong things. And God says, I'm going to do that for you. Why? He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. You write like pros and cons lists. All right. Here's God's question. Should I save them? You ever think about that? Like if you got to the end, like they always have jokes like that, but literally if you were standing before God and God said, like, why should I save you? And he starts to write down the list, like, okay, here's what I'm thinking. Here's the cons. Uh, You're foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, malicious, envious, hated and hating. Here's the pros. I'm kind. I'm loving. I have mercy. You fill in the blank that says, like, why should God save me? I think everybody in the world has a reason for that. I think you can knock on any door on the planet and say, okay, let's just, no one's filming this. Let's just talk for a little bit. Why should God save you? Everybody's got a reason, right? I'm pretty good. I love my kids. I work hard at my job. It's a pretty scary thing to think if we have any reason other than God's mercy and God's love, we got the wrong answer. It might not be quite as obvious, right? Like, God, I'm really awesome, but I think sometimes we struggle with this idea. The better, this is the irony of it, the better you get at being a believer, the better you get at loving people, the better you get at being kind and not slandering and doing a good job at work, and the more people start talking to you about it, right? What makes you different? Why do you work so hard? 
why you're doing such a good, the better you get at it, the harder it gets to recognize God's mercy. If your boss hired you for no reason whatsoever, like you were not good, and they just said, all right, I had 150 applicants, you're the worst, but I'm nice, and I'm going to hire you. You would live in gratitude for a long time, right? But what happens if you got really good at the job? Get a little bit entitled. You start to recognize the things they've done. They said, why aren't I getting a little bit more credit? The better you get at being a Christian, the harder it is to recognize God's mercy. So every single day, and this is how Martin Luther talks about it, daily sorrow and repentance. Every single day we go to God and say, there is no reason you should save us except for your mercy. I think I did this backwards. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth. We just talked about this when we talked about baptism. And by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. And I'll just, just one visual thing. Has anyone ever been to a hospital when a baby's been born? In the midst of the chaos, uh, all the women are like, duh. <laughs> right? Like All the moms, I should say, not all the women. Uh, so that, that's not what I meant. So in the midst of the chaos, the, the hospital is kind of the worst place in the world, um, except for Manna's Cafe. That's really good. But the rest of it, like the beeps and the sounds, and you ever hear warning lights when you're visiting someone? And I was trying to have a, um, Jeff Yance, who's not here, he's in the hospital, I went to visit him. The alarm is going off, and like we couldn't get it to shut off. And I was like starting to press buttons, and he's looking at me, I'm like, all right, I won't press any more buttons. We'll just press the button that says, please shut off this alarm, right? The, the more annoying it is, the more annoying it is, the, the more it means like this is a catastrophe. And that's essentially what, as Paul writes, right? He says, just imagine this put to music. You are malicious. You are deviant. You are disobedient. You hate one another. You are envious. This is like this alarm going off in our head. But if you've been to a hospital, a lot of hospitals will do this. Children's Hospital, I know, does this. I think um, and Castle Rock does that. You're walking down the hall, and then you hear like the, these angelic chimes, I always wonder what it would be like to be at a work, at, at, to work at a hospital, all the chaos and all these things happen, and then just hear, boop, boop, boop. What's that mean? It means there's been a baby that's been born. And I think of those terms when you see these warning systems like, watch out, you are going down the wrong path of foolishness. And then suddenly God is saying, he saved us, how you just hear this different music. And just boop, boop, boop through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified, and that means as you stand before God, remember, justified is a, it's, it's a legal term that says justified, you are declared not guilty by God's grace. So as you stand before God, and, and, and the devil is listing off every single thing that you, the times you were not just hating people, but envious and malicious and disobedient, and God would look at you and say, because of Christ and because of my grace, you are not guilty. You're free to go. What does that mean? It means acceptance. We might be heirs having the hope of eternal life. We actually have something. We're part of the family. And I, I don't think I have to illustrate that, just how many opportunities happen to you just because you know someone. Because we're connected to Christ, Christ says that you're with my family. So where does Paul end with this, right? This whole list of things, this is what I expect. And then he says, essentially, here is the gospel message that every human being needs to hear. He says, here's a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things. What things are we talking about?
What things does he want them to stress? It's not the doing good works part. Like, that's not the biggest deal here. He says, I want you to stress that this is how you used to be, and through God's loving kindness and mercy and grace, you now have a relationship with God. Then, we can devote ourselves to doing what is good. These are excellent and profitable for everyone. Essentially, it's this. As a church, and this is, uh, I'll say what Paul says. We stress the gospel. Why do we stress the gospel? Because when we stress the gospel, then we can live the gospel. So let's bring this full circle all the way back, and, and we'll finish up. I showed those Jerry of the Day pictures. You may or may not have found them funny. I laughed harder than necessary when I saw these pictures, and I thought, how dumb are these people? Um, my guess is it's really easy to go outside these doors the better you get at being a believer and look at all the world and say, what a bunch of idiots. I can't believe they function like that. I can't believe they find hope and stuff like that. What does it mean to live the gospel? Gospel is, in a word, grace. And when you come from a place that says, I used to be like that, what happens if all those pictures were actually me? Right? When I show these the helmet on backwards and my skis in the wrong feet and crashing and carrying behind my kid behind me being dragged and all these jumps. What if it was just like a string of my life? I think I'd be a little bit more merciful to the person who clipped their foot on backwards. I'd say, hey, uh, you should just flip your ski around so you don't get hurt. And they put their helmet on backwards and you'd be like, I don't want anyone to make fun of you, but you should just flip your helmet around. I can't do anything for the duct tape guy. <laughs> right? But does that change your perspective when you know that there is no reason God picked you just because you're so awesome? But God says, in spite of who you are, I'm going to show my love to you. Now you have an opportunity to go live that gospel, which means going into people's lives and say, I'm not here to try and pull you down so I feel good about myself, but I've got a message that God has shared with me that I desperately want you to hear. That in spite of who you are, not because of who you are, God brought his grace to you on a cross and God loves you. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's so easy as we struggle as Christians, the better and better we get at it, it's, we lose perspective, and we start to think we're pretty decent. Every day we need a reminder that says at our core, at our sinful self, we struggle with the same things. Uh, we just listened to a presentation where someone said, you can't understand the things that I do and I've done, and I think all of us could say, I think I understand pretty well. That every day we struggle with our own sins, we just get better at hiding them. Uh, help us to reveal these sins to you, and in such a way that we can reveal gospel to the world that we live in. It's not our job to judge people, to slander people. It's our job to live a life that sets us apart, that gives us an opportunity to step into people's lives, and, and not to make them feel bad, uh, to laugh, but to step in people's lives to show them what grace is through us, but ultimately show them what grace is through the Holy Spirit who really changes lives, because there was a day when grace appeared, your love actually appeared in the flesh, and your love actually went to a cross just for us. Help us live the gospel because we've stressed the gospel. We ask this in your name. Amen.